Happy new moon, creatures. Winter has come hard and fast to the valley. A bustling storm came through the other day and knocked almost all the leaves off the trees, their bones pointing bare to the sky. The structures grown over the year. We'll see what survives till spring. What leaves there are, are barely hanging on. There's no more sunlight to be had here. It's 3.30 and I am already racing against the sunset. And they're laying like blankets on the ground. Walking through the neighborhood. Here on the grid. As we shift our perspective wider and wider here at the end of our journey together, we'll see each other one more time after the solstice. But today, we're going to talk about how shadow work, this inner work, reaches out into a wider and wider spectrum. Last month, we took a look at the kind of cognitive behaviors that can have our unseen shadow work, our unprocessed traumas, the things that we can't allow ourselves to register, how it can seep into our close and intimate relationships, how it can buy our way to the downward spiral. Today, we're gonna to widen that perspective further. I wanna talk about some, we'll call them cognitive behaviors that create a kind of fertile soil for certain types of ideologies and societies to rise, to grow. When we don't face our shadow, when we don't process these traumas, when we allow the unseen within us to remain unseen. And we don't create space for it. There's a few things that's happening on the inside. First off, okay, we've been building this perspective of, you know, exiles, that there are parts of us that hold our trauma and have to be whoom, taken away from our view. When that happens, there are other parts that spring forward protectors in the language of IFS, whose jobs are to ensure that either A, the exile does not get activated, or B, if it does get activated, that it is suppressed, it is quelled by whatever means necessary. Then there's the other part we call the AMP, the apparently normal part, whose job is to just go limping through life with all of these resources taken from them, and, and you just got to make it happen. <laughs> you just have to kind of keep marching forward, blind to what you've even lost. We create comparative modalities when we do this. Let's say there's a moment in your past of incredible rage that you can't allow yourself. You can't, it goes unseen. Exiled away, tucked into your shadow. You cannot bear it. 
over time you'll become less and less able to tolerate any kind of anger until anger becomes ordered against other emotions. Other emotions are preferable. Other states of being are preferable. There's no, you know, you're not going to do anything that's going to end up making you angry. And so we create a kind of ordering principle where when one is compared to the other, there are others that are preferred, ranked higher. If we take that a step further, you know, because you have a lot of different things that you think are preferred, you know, to be, um, you know, it'd be better to be happy. Shoot, it'd be better to be sad than angry. You could be any number of things. Um, so you could have a dozen different options that are all ranked higher than the exiled emotion. Well, there's another cognitive behavior that can emerge, which thinks that one mode is supreme above all others. <laughs> Let's say happiness. Thinking that happiness is the optimal, that one must be happy, or at least always be striving towards happiness. That, that is, that's the push. That's the one, you know. That there is a supreme way of being to which all others should try to strive. It doesn't mean that you won't feel anger. It just means that when you do, you'll activate your shadow. When you do, your protectors will kick on. When you do, all these defense mechanisms will come into play, whipping you towards this supreme ideal, passing through anything that's ranked better to get there. And so if you have this unprocessed trauma, if you have this shadow moving inside of you, and you're walking through the world and you don't even know that these structures are at play, that these cognitive behaviors where you're excluding parts of yourself, you're ordering states of being and you're choosing maybe one that is penultimate above all others. You don't see it happening, right? Because that's the whole thing. You're not doing the shadow work. You don't look inside yourself. You don't know that these things are walking with you. But you feel a sense. You, f you can feel the daggers still twisting in you. You just don't understand what they are. You feel the structures at play inside of you. You just don't know the shape of them. And so when you walk into the world and there are institutions and organizations and groups of people who also enact these structures in a way that's external to them, you know? They take the dagger out of their heart and maybe plunge it into somebody else's sometimes metaphorically, sometimes very literally, it can create a sense of validation to a person, to the structures that they have developed to survive. And that's what <laughs> we, want, we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to feel validated. We all want to think that we're not alone. We all want to have experiences that help us to feel connected to other people. And sometimes We'll connect even through, even through the worst parts of us, just to feel that. You know, the things that move through us, it can flow like a river, it can grow like brambles, thorny and sharp inside. And it's just like, well, but if I'm full of brambles and you're full of brambles, 
maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe I'll be okay. At least I'm not alone. These three cognitive behaviors, exclusionary thinking, hierarchical thinking, and supremacist thinking, I think fertilize the soil for ideologies like fascism to rise. And I, I, you know, I cohabitate with a historian. I know there's a lot of opinions about what we call fascism. Um, but I think Brett said it really well is, you know, a trunk doesn't make an elephant, but it's not an elephant if it doesn't have a trunk. In this way, I think that these cognitive behaviors create a space, create habits of internal thought in an individual that when individuals who are like-minded, who carry these structures together, congregate, that social structures that can be incredibly harmful can grow, can grow from that, can grow out of that. So I want to talk about each one of them. And I want to talk about why I think we're seeing so much of it now. Christofascism, ecofascism. We're seeing so many different ideologies. And not even just on the far right side. These are cognitive behaviors that are saturating many different groups. I want to talk about why I think that's happening, why we're seeing it so much. Okay. All right. So let's think about, you know, at the very... Um, heart of it is the notion of exclusivity. Um, so if we are defining an in-group, if we're saying that these are the people, you know, this is who, who we are a part of, there always has to be someone that's outside of that. And sometimes these groups are defining themselves in much by what they exclude in much the same way that your psyche configures itself based on what it exiles. You know, if you... If you push away, um, if you push away uh, queer people, you know, if you're a group that pushes out queer people, then there's no room for that. There's no room for that in your in-group. So what is included is defined by what is excluded, right? What is cut away? What cannot be on the inside? And more than that, it's more than just like, yeah, okay, because fine, not everybody can be part of every club. I get that. But when a group's vision of a future, like vision of a good and beautiful future, means that entire subsets of the human species should be eradicated, especially, especially when these are just, you know, people being born how they are, like there's a fucking problem. We cut away, we exile, and would eradicate in much the same way that we wish we could eradicate the exiles of our psyche. We can't, you know. Parts don't die, they never die. But we can make sure we don't see them. So then, okay, we've defined an in-group based on who we've excluded. Within the in-group, it doesn't just stop there. It's not all kumbaya on the inside. We start engaging in ordering principles. Some ways of being, some types of people are considered better than others. 
where those lines get drawn vary with the ages. There are a few tried and true ones that see, keep seeming to come around, um, often based off of, you know, uh, sex, socioeconomic status, race. Uh, it's not hard to draw up examples. All you have to do, hop on the internet, you know, hop on the internet for five minutes. It'll be pretty easy to find some examples of the way people in groups then rank within that society. You know, you're not, you're not exiled, but you're not the top of the heap. Then these groups, they can take it one step further. It's not that there are dozens of wonderful ways of being. No, no, often these hierarchies uh, winnow down to a point, top of the pyramid, that there is a supreme way of being a perfect model, the idealized form to which all should strive. And if it is something that let's say you can't strive for, like being born a certain ethnicity or sex or in a certain social caste, then you accept a subservient position to that supreme option forever. You know, that that is just the way. Exclusionary, hierarchical, supremacist. These are what I call the quarks of fascism. These are cognitive modes. These are cognitive behaviors. These are things that are happening in our minds. These are tools of the mind. And I think that they're happening. I think that we're seeing this happen. We're seeing these things rise so much more right now. honestly, because of the secular scientific revolution. revolution. And so, okay, so this is, this is just my work as a mathematician. Um, but I, I use these modes all of the time, all of the time. I need them. These are tools of my mind that are really important to my work. You know, when I think about supremacy thinking, to me, I call that optimization. You know, that's just finding optimal solutions to things. Um, I'm always, we're always trying to optimize um, as a matter of efficiency. Um, when I think about hierarchies, those are ordering principles. We need to be able to order things. Sometimes things do genuinely need to get ranked. Um, and being able to do that is a powerful tool for us to be able to make decisions better. Exclusionary thinking well, that's the very heart of deductive reasoning, you know? We need this logical foundation. Deduction matters. And so here we are rising into this, this ever-blossoming scientific revolution that, you know, really, like, really kicked off in the 1900s, pretty well kicked off in the 1700s, but has been blooming for millennia now. And we're riding a wave of it that is intense, <laughs> you know, we're at a very intense chapter in the scientific revolution. And more and more of us are being introduced to these ways of thinking through our education, through acceptance of the scientific framework. And so, okay, these tools, the tools themselves are powerful and, and they can be powerful tools for good. They can be, they're the tools that if we're gonna, if we're gonna do something here, we're gonna need these tools. If we're gonna change the course of where we're headed, if we're gonna tilt this wave, 
we need these tools in our pocket. So why is it that in one set of hands, these tools can lead to incredible scientific breakthroughs that can genuinely help humanity, and in the other hands, they become daggers and guns and shame and weapons of war. Here's what I think. I think that these are excellent tools for object reasoning. You know? <laughs> Let me count grains of wheat. <laughs> Let me look at resources. Let me look at objects and use these tools. Let me use deductive reasoning to engineer. Let me create ordering principles for you know, dissemination of vaccines or uh, resources. Like, let me, let me use these things to deal with objects. It's fine. It's fine. We can use these tools to deal with objects. Objects, we can exclude objects. We can rank objects. Some, some objects, for certain situations, are optimal. You know, that's just what's up. I think the problem happens when we take these tools of object reasoning, which is what the scientific mindset is doing, is object reasoning, and we apply them to people. That's where things get not just complicated, that's where things get dangerous. And so when we think about the person who hasn't done their shadow work, the person who is using these cognitive tools to govern their own psyche, we are seeing a person who is reasoning about themselves as though they were an object. And if you think of yourself as an object, it gets easier and easier to think about other people as objects too. Sometimes the easiest thing of all is to only think of other people as objects, to externalize those tools that you've used against yourself, against others. When it comes to people, we need a different kind of reasoning. We need different tools for that. Instead of hierarchical reasoning, we need an egalitarian awareness. We can't compare each other, we're incomparable. You know, no, there's no way. And anything that we could compare, we would have to get so down to the minutia, you know, like saying my hair is longer than yours. Okay, cool, we can compare that. But then we're just really talking about hair length, you know? Then we're almost coming back into object reasoning, kind of, but not as a whole, not if you take a person as a whole, there's no way to compare two people. We're all here on this ground together, standing on this earth. No one's standing above anybody else. We can't be ordered. That's a construct. One we developed for object reasoning. There's not one supreme version. 
there is no model that's the tops. So we're not evolving towards some apex ubermensch, you know, like we're not doing that. There isn't some final version that we're trying to converge towards. There's no supremacy here. There's no supreme. There's no way to optimize a human being. So instead of supremacist thinking, we need to cultivate multiplicative awareness with each other. That there's a plurality of possibilities here. That there are so many ways to be. And all of them can be absolutely incredible. There isn't one model we all have to fall in line behind. We can walk an infinitude of roads together. Every path is valuable as the other. Every way of being as important. We can hold that inside of ourselves. That joy is as valuable to me as sorrow. That grief has as much power as purpose. There isn't one that's the best. There isn't one to strive for. And instead of exclusionary thinking, some people say inclusivity. No, fuck inclusivity. I hate that word. Inclusivity says you're a different group than me, but I'm going to hold you like a bubble inside of my bigger bubble, but you're still different than me. Mm-mm. Not inclusivity. We need to be integrative in our awareness. We need to integrate things. We need to let the walls of the bubbles become porous, dissolve, and all just kind of be in a soup together. So none are excluded. That's okay if some can't agree. It's okay if some need to be at different parts of the web from each other, but we're all connected. We're all part of this web work with one another. And so hierarchies, you know, supremacy, exclusionary thinking, these are cognitive tools. These are constructs we have created inside of our heads to do object reasoning. These are important tools that have laid the foundation for the scientific revolution. They are cognitive tools. They are ways of thinking. They are constructs. What I'm talking about when it comes to human reasoning are not constructs, not tools awarenesses. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm trying to open your eyes to see that this is how it is. We are equal to each other in the truth of it. We are multiplicative. There's a plurality to us as beings and that diversity is our power. To not rank each other gives us power. To integrate with one another gives us power. we live in lonely times. We live disconnected from one another. We live disconnected from ourselves. And somehow, somehow we lost these ways. Somehow we lost these awarenesses. And I don't really care how. I just want them back.
I want to see them outside of me and welcome them in. I want to foster them inside of me and bring them out. To take these tools and to apply them to oneself as a trauma holder, as a shadow worker, to take these tools means that I have to accept some things. I have to open my awareness. I have to, all right, fucking here we go. Temple of radical acceptance. That's how we opened this whole journey. No state of being can be compared to any other state of being. Whatever state of being you're in right now, whatever state I'm in right now, it's totally valid. I don't need to run from any one of them. It just is what it is. It'll run its own course and something else will follow. The impermanence of things is my buoy right there when I find myself in states of being that are very uncomfortable. It'll pass. There's no state of being that I need to run towards. There's no one that if I don't attain it, then I've failed or I'm lesser. I could live my whole life and have certain emotions that I never experience, certain ways of being that I never embody. That's okay. Yeah, that's fine. And all the things that have happened, all the things that have been locked away, can be here with me. And they can be seen. And they can be accepted. And maybe they need special considerations, you know? Maybe those things that triggered that moment of rage that had to be tucked away for so long. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe that's just not my cup of tea. That's okay. There's lots of other things to do. But I don't have to run and hide from the things that might trigger me. It's different. It's different to see your pain. To go, ooh, ooh, no, okay, I understand why that makes me feel extremely uncomfortable. Like, I get in my past what did that, and I can hold it. Okay, cool, I can feel this moment of uncomfortable stuff. I can let it flow through me. I don't need to run to some other way of being. I can just be here with this. And then understand that, like, okay, cool, maybe in the future, this thing that triggered it, you know? Maybe I'm just not going to, like jump into that. I'm not going to feel like that's something I need to go and do or there's something wrong, you know? I don't have to be reactive about it. I can see it with intention and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> that. That shit's just not my party. I'm going to go find a party that is. There's something really relaxing about that perspective. changes the way I look at other people too you know when someone's in a rough place when someone's whew, doing everything they can to try to be happy when somebody's experiencing uncomfortable states of being I don't know it's just 
you know, it's that whole thing. It's like the way you see yourself informs the way you see other people. The way you treat yourself informs the way you treat other people. If you push away parts of yourself and in that you disconnect from yourself, well, what can you do in the world out with people except push away those who want to connect to you? Those internal behaviors determine our external modes, our external behaviors. The connections and the tools and the things that we use inside of us inform the kinds of things outside of us that we will feel resonant with, whether that's positive or negative. It doesn't matter. You just feel resonant. You know, people can link up and downward spiral together en masse. That shit happens. Read history, you know. It doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> We're not bound to the past. If we can see it, integrate its lessons. Understand that there are so many paths we could walk from here. None greater than the other. So we can really connect to ourselves, really follow our own hearts, <laughs> move through our neighborhoods and our societies with something different inside of us. Pull the daggers out of our hearts, you know, and <laughs> not need to plunge them into anybody else's. We can just sheathe them. until our last new moon together. My blessings to the pain bearers. <laughs>